Romans chapter 15. And we're going to read the first seven verses of Romans chapter 15. We that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you this night for this your word, this holy book, this precious book, Father God, that you gave unto us via divine revelation and inspiration. And Lord, tonight as we look at your word, we do pray that you would just uh, open our minds of understanding. Help us, Father God, to glean from your word that which you'd have for us. Give me wisdom, Father God, this night to clearly share your word according to your will and according to your direction, Father. And Lord, we just pray that your precious book tonight would be indeed a precious blessing to us as we study together. And we'll be sure to give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. How often do we hear a phrase like, I have my rights and nobody's going to tell me what to do today? You know, what with civil rights, workers' rights, women's rights, and even criminals' rights, society's become fascinated and overrun and become mad almost with the matter of rights. It seems like today's philosophy is you live to take care of number one because if you don't, nobody else will. So I have my rights. You know, God's philosophy is the opposite to that as noted by Paul in Romans 15.2, he says, Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. We're to please our neighbor. Please the other believer to the good of edification. And we've seen that the first part of Romans 15 is a continuation of the truths of Romans 14. The first three verses of Romans 15 are the conclusion of Romans chapter 14, namely that we are dealing with those matters that are not clearly spelt out in the Word of God. Telling us what to do about the things that the Bible gives no specific instructions with, with regard to the weak and the strong believers and how we're supposed to cope with those matters, how we're supposed to deal with them, and how we're supposed to live together as believers, even though we might have difference of opinions on these matters that are not spelt out in God's Word. And in Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 7, which we just read, Paul gives yet another principle for living, which is that as believers, we ought to please one another. And you and I are not supposed to fight for our rights as believers. We're supposed to cease, seek to help each other. We saw last time the principle stated in verses 1 and 2, where it says, We that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak 
and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. Here we were told that we're to bear the infirmities of the weak, which means, as we saw last time, that we are not to live for self. We're not to live to please self. There's no place for selfishness in God's family. And the law of love ought to regulate our conduct. And because we love one another, therefore you and I ought to seek to please one another. And then we saw the principle illustrated in verse 3. It says, for even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproach of them that reproached thee fell on me. Christ's example is given to us to show you and I how to put this principle into practice, how to put this principle of pleasing one another into practice in our lives. The Apostle Paul says, if we feel that we are making great, a great sacrifice to give up something for others, then we ought to measure the sacrifice that we're making by the side of the sacrifice that Christ made. And the reality is none of us have made as great a sacrifice as Christ made for you and I on Calvary. And you and I need to realize that if Christ had pleased himself and not died on Calvary, there would have been no salvation, but he willingly left heaven's glory to die in our place so that we might be saved. He sought to seek to meet our needs. And so the principle presented in Romans 14.1 through Romans 15.3 is that we must be willing to give up our rights as Christ did if we're to have unity. And now tonight we're to consider the third aspect of this and that is the principle empowered. How do we ensure that this principle is true in our lives? How do we make sure that we live in unity? How do we have a like-mindedness as believers? What is the solution to that? How is that empowered in our lives? And in these verses, in verses 4 through 7, Paul is calling for unity and like-mindedness between the weak and the strong believer. And in the context of Romans chapter 15, in the context of everything he's saying, it seems that what he's dealing with is a problem in the early church, specifically as an example to you and I. Because he's calling for like-mindedness, he's calling for unity between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. And we're going to see that as we go on in Romans 15. But the whole point is that as he demonstrates between this matter of the Gentile and Jewish believers having to get along and be like-minded... That's a, a, an illustration of how all believers are to get along and be like-minded. In Romans 15, 5, we're challenged to be like-minded. Look what he says in verse 5. Now the God of patience and consolation grant unto you to be like-minded one to another according to Christ Jesus. And then in verse 6, we're challenged to be of one mind and one mouth, that you may be of one mind and one mouth, glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then in Romans 15, 7, we're challenged to receive one another. Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also hath received us, the glory of God. Pastor Mitchell, in his notes on Romans, makes this comment. He says, it seems he is calling two specific groups to unity. From Romans 15, 8, he addresses the circumcision, the Jews. And then in Romans 15, 9, he addresses the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And then in Romans 15, 9 through 12, 
we have four Old Testament scriptures about God receiving Gentiles. And so what it appears that's happening here, there's been a little shift. Up to this point, he's been talking about the weak and the strong, which in a sense is Jewish believers and Gentile believers, because remember he talks about meat, eating meat and not eating meat. The Gentile believers had no trouble eating meat and the Jewish believers struggled with eating meat that was offered unto idols. And now he kind of drills down a little bit further and talks about these groups specifically, Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And he's calling upon the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers to accept one another, to be like-minded. Now, generally speaking, in the early church, the Gentile believers didn't have much trouble accepting the Jewish believers. Okay, they, they accepted the Jews for who they were and accepted their, their uh, ways and their understanding, their, the way that they wanted to not eat meat, etc. But very often, the Jewish believers had trouble accepting the Gentile believers. And this seems to be where Paul is coming from in Romans chapter 15, verses 4 through 7. Because you know, Paul had experienced this himself. Paul had come across this problem from a most unexpected area in his home church in Antioch. Go with me to Galatians, if you would, please. Galatians chapter 2. In Galatians chapter 2, we have the story of Peter and Paul almost coming to blows over this issue. We find that uh, Peter himself had come across, uh, sorry, sorry, Paul had come across this problem when Peter had come to Antioch. Now, Peter had approved of Paul's gospel and Paul's ministry when Paul was in Jerusalem. Look what he says in Galatians 2 9. It says, and when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be the pill be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto us, uh, given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, and they unto the circumcision. If you go to Acts chapter fifteen, we're not going to go there. But if you went to Acts chapter fifteen, there is the this event that takes place. Paul and Barnabas have come down from the church of Antioch to the church in Jerusalem, where James is the pastor, and they want to know what the situation is with regards to the church's position, the, Jews, the Jewish believers' position with regard to Gentiles getting saved. And Paul and Barnabas then explain how the Gentiles got saved and they got saved without keeping the law. And uh, John stands up and he admits that the way that Gentiles get saved and the way that Jews get saved is by grace through faith and that alone and there's no need to keep the law and no Jew should impose upon a Gentile the Jewish law. And they give the right hand of fellowship to Paul and Barnabas and welcome him into the church and accept their position, their doctrine. But now here we are in the church at Antioch and something has changed because God used Peter himself uh, so I should also say this, remember also God had used Peter to welcome Gentiles into Christianity with the precondition of bec uh, not becoming Jews. Remember the sheep coming down and Peter saying, I won't eat that which is, uh, is unclean and the Lord says, don't call that which is unclean which is clean and, and then he goes out and he reaches the unsaved Gentiles and some get saved. But then in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 12, we read this. Uh, verse 11, he said, But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. 
For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them, which were of the circumcision. And so here is Peter, now in the church at Antioch, Paul's home church, with all these Gentiles. And Peter is happy to go and have a meal with the Gentile believers without any trouble. He's eating meat, he's enjoying himself, he's having great fellowship. But then a group of Jews come up from the church of Jerusalem to the church at Antioch, and when they arrive, these ones who were Judaizers, who uh, struggled with Gentiles eating meat offered to idols, Peter took side with them against the Gentile believers in Antioch, and indeed against Paul. Though Peter was previously in agreement with welcoming the Gentiles into the church, without bringing them under the law of Moses, when Peter now comes to Antioch, it's another story. He refuses to associate with the Gentile Christians in this circumstance. And in verse 13 we read, And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. And so when we get to Romans chapter 15, this issue of the Jew and the Gentile accepting each other was a relevant issue. This was something that was very real in the early church. The early church struggled with and dealt with this regularly. The Jews and the Gentiles not being of the same mind, the Jews and the Gentiles not being in unity, and this situation arose. Paul experienced it firsthand there in Antioch, but it was also true throughout the, the early church. And Paul understood that there was a need for him, therefore, to call upon the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers to accept one another. And it's this issue that Paul now deals with in Romans chapter 15, verses 4 through 13. God wants there to be unity and like-mindedness in the church. And Paul then shares the source of that spiritual power. How are these Jews and the Gentiles going to get along? How can there be like-mindedness in these two groups of people? How can there be unity in these two groups of people? How can we, where can we draw the strength? Where can we draw the spiritual power to live to please one another? If we're going to be like-minded, if we're going to have, if you, you have unity, then where do we find the spiritual power to do this? Well, he says, firstly, that we should let the Word of God work in our lives. Let the Word of God work in our lives. Look in verse 3 again. It says this, But as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 3, Paul quotes from the Old Testament Scripture to end his subject on the weaker brother. And he says, but it is written, here is a change. Here is where we get to the, this break, if you like. Verse 3 finishes off chapter 14. And now as we come to verse for, he says, but it is written as a change. And then he quotes from Psalm 69 and verse 9, which reads, For the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, and the reproach of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. And he applies that, of course, to Christ. This promised Paul to make a point 
about the reason why New Testament Christians ought to give heed and give regard to the Old Testament Scriptures. Romans 15.4 tells us, what sort of things were written aforetime were written for our learning. What he's saying to you and I is that the Scriptures were important. They are the very foundation for unity. They're the foundation for like-mindedness between believers. If you and I are going to think alike, if you and I are going to have a unity of thought with regard to certain matters, then the foundation for that, the spiritual power for that, comes from the very Word of God. And here in Romans chapter 15, Paul is going to use quotes from the Old Testament, particularly from the Psalms, as a launching pad for a statement about the relevance of the Old Testament. And so he said, for whatsoever, this is an all-inclusive word, meaning all that has been written, including all the Old Testament. One commentator said this, the thought is that all the Old Testament was admirably adapted to express Christian duties and doctrine. We should not neglect the Old Testament scriptures when it comes to Christian duties and doctrine. And that's expressed in the phrase, these were written for our learning. It says in verse 4, for what sort of things were written aforetime were written for our learning. The phrase for our learning means for our teaching. God has given to us his word, including the Old Testament scriptures, to instruct us, to teach us, to help you and I know how he thinks, so that you and I might have the mind of God, so that you and I might be like-minded as believers, because you and I are thinking alike, because we're thinking as God thinks. Remember what it says in 2 Timothy 3.16, All scripture is given by his presence of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now the word aforetime there in verse 4 of Romans 15 simply means those things that were written before. And that which was written before Romans essentially is the Old Testament Scriptures. And what the Word of God is telling you and I is this, that you and I can be sure that there's value in reading the Old Testament. You know, there are some believers today who don't believe there's any value in reading the Old Testament. And all they read is the New Testament. But God's Word here is explained to you and I that the Old Testament contains value for us. There is a value in reading Genesis to Malachi. There's value in the Old Testament. And we can be sure that there are things in the Old Testament that you and I can learn that will help you and I to be like-minded. You know, God did not give us these things written and preserved simply to fill our heads with facts. The Lord had much more edifying reason for you and I reading the Word of God. Now, in the context of where we live, that's all the Word of God. Genesis to Revelation. But God gave us another reason for reading God's Word, not just so that you and I can have a head filled with facts and figures, but God had a purpose for you and I reading His Word. Look what He says in Romans 15.4. He says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience 
and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. The word that is a purpose word. Our learning is to benefit us. In other words, it's saying the things were written aforetime were written for our learning for this purpose. That through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have we might we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. God's word was given to you and I, was designed for this purpose that you and I might have hope. Because that's what it says in Romans 15.4. It says that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. The purpose of the word of God, one of the purposes of the Old Testament scriptures is to give us hope, is to encourage us. That God will take care of us, that you and I can read God's word. We, receive, we read these wonderful stories in the Old Testament of God's sovereignty, of God's providential care, of God's leading of his people in the Old Testament. And that gives you and I hope for this day and age. The scriptures were given to us so that through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, we might have hope. That's hope daily. And that's hope for the future. Now the word patience here, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope, the word patience here is endurance. And it seems to be referring to the fact that the scriptures are enduring. Not that necessarily the scriptures give us patience, but through the patience of the scriptures, we then receive comfort and hope. Okay, so the patience of the scriptures. You know, the Bible has been banned, it's been burned, it's been scoffed at, it's been put down, but the scriptures have endured. The scriptures are still with us. We still have the word of God. The scriptures are still able to be read. God's word is still available to you and I. No matter what man has tried to do over the centuries to restrict the word of God, to stop us from reading God's word, God's word is still around. And it still gives hope. Most commentators said that the point is that if by God's sovereign hand they had not endured, then this world would have no hope. It's because God's word has endured that we have hope. If you and I could not find a copy of the word of God today, where would we be? You know, we read in... Sunday school this morning, first Thessalonians 4, it says, comfort one another with these things. How would we comfort one another if we didn't have Thessalonians to read? How would we be encouraged if we didn't have much of the Old Testament to read? How, where would we be without the Word of God? How would we know how to get saved? It's the Word of God. It's God's Word that gives us comfort. It's God's Word that gives us hope. And it's the fact that God's Word has endured that you and I can still turn to it today for hope. The word consolation here or comfort here through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, which is consolation, it's used consolation in verse 5. Now, the God of patience and consolation, the same word, means encouragement. The nature of God's Word does encourage us, gives us hope, encourages us. You know, it tells a hopeless world of a saviour. I don't know about you, but that's encouraging and that gives hope, doesn't it? 
It tells the backslidden Christian that God will receive sinners. That gives encouragement and hope. It tells the weary servant of God of a future glory. The fact that you and I are going to be with him forever indeed is encouraging and gives hope. I mean, if you didn't get that from camp last weekend, you probably missed the whole point. It's all about encouraging us and giving us hope. Looking at heaven and the fact that heaven is going to be wonderful because God's going to be there, as Darren mentioned this morning in the Sunday school, that gives us hope. It's encouraging. It gives us a reason to get up in the morning. It gives us a reason to go to bed at night. It gives us a reason to do what we do because we know what the future holds. There's hope. It tells those who've been tried in this world of a God who cares. And that's encouraging, isn't it? And that gives hope. Because God does care for us. And we could go on. I mean, just think, for instance, of the story of Abraham in the Scriptures. The Scriptures that have endured some 4,000 years since Moses penned them. You know, you read the story of Abraham, isn't it a story of encouragement? Isn't it a story of hope? Here's this man who, by faith, leaves his homeland in the earth of the Chaldees and makes his way to a land he did not know, Hebrews tells us, where God protected him and took care of him and provided for him as he dwelt in those tents in that barren land, in that hostile land. And then God miraculously way past childbearing age, gave them a son, the promised son, Isaac. And all this around that story, uh, the story of Abraham is a story of hope, it's a story of encouragement, it's a story of blessing. Hope that when you and I follow the Lord, the Lord always walks with us, leading us, meeting our needs. Commentator said, Scripture has encouraged us, consoled us, that the pathway of promise is the pathway of blessing. I mean, think of the story of Abraham. He goes down to Egypt in direct disobedience to God. But God still is with him. And the Scriptures teach us that we can find forgiveness even when we do the wrong thing. You know, you and I can learn from the Old Scriptures, for they have endured. And we are consoled and we're filled with hope because of what God's Word teaches us. So the Old Testament Scriptures and the New Testament Scriptures are indeed relevant for us today. But added to this Scripture, added to this, the Scriptures form the basis for a fellowship, for agreement with those who are in Christ Jesus. So secondly, we're taught that in Scripture that the basis for unity is the Word of God. He goes on to explain that the Scriptures are valuable, they're important. They're vital for our help, to help us, to comfort us, to encourage us, to give us hope. But all more so than that, on top of that, they're the basis of unity and like-mindedness. Look in verse 5. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Jesus Christ, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore receive you one another, as Christ has also received us to the glory of God. Here Paul prays for his readers. 
And when he prays, he asks that they might experience from God the spiritual unity that God alone can give. And the way in which we can have the spiritual power to have that unity is through the Word of God. Pastor Mitchell in his notes asked this question, if we have hope through the Scriptures, and more precisely through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, then how would the God of patience and comfort grant to us to be like-minded one to another? Surely He would do it through the Scriptures. And it's interesting that he starts this section in verse 4 by talking about the Scriptures. Then he tells us to be like-minded in verse 5. He tells us to be of one mind and one mouth in verse 6. He tells us to receive one another in verse 7. And then as you read on to, down to verse 14 and following, he quotes from the Psalms again, the Word of God to explain what he's been saying. And since there's the Greek order of the words in Romans 15.5, which says, Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, the Greek order goes like this. Now the God of patience and comfort give you the same thing to mind with one another. May God's word give you the same mind to think like one another. As you and I study God's word, as you and I learn God's truth, as you and I understand what God's word teaches, then when you and I are thinking like God's word thinks, and we're thinking like God thinks, then we'll think alike. And if we think alike, we'll be like-minded. And if we're like-minded, we'll have unity. It's a wonderful truth, isn't it? You see, the foundation, the, 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 the ground upon which we have unity is the Word of God. And the basis for what we mind, so that we mind the same thing, is also revealed in the Word of God. And what God's Word reveals to us is those things which accord with Jesus Christ. Because he says there in verse 5, Now the God of patience and consolation grants you to be like-minded one toward another according to Jesus Christ. Philippians 2.5 puts it this way, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. If you and I have the mind of Christ, we think alike, then there can't be disunity. That's what he's saying. The basis for unity of mind is the Word of God, and the Word of God reveals to us the mind of Christ. God wants us to choose to think like Christ, and when we think like Christ, we'll be like-minded. One commentator said this, for those in Christ, the basis for unity of mind is the Word of God, and with the patience that come to the Scriptures, God will grant us the same mind. Because when we have the same mind, the mind of Christ, the result of it, the purpose of it, will produce that which it says in verse 6, that we may be with one mind and one mouth glorify God in the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we have the mind of Christ, then you and I will think with one mind and you and I will speak with one mouth and what we will do will glorify God. Even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The goal is to glorify God. The goal of every believer, the goal of you and I as saved people is that we ought to do all that we do to the glory of God. Isn't that what it says 
in Corinthians. Wherefore, therefore, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. That is the goal. That's the ultimate goal for all of us, that we do everything to the glory of God. And how are we going to do that? Well, the only way we do that is if we're of one mind and one mouth. And how are we going to be of one mind and one mouth? Well, the only way that's going to happen is if we're like-minded one toward another, according to Jesus Christ. If we have the mind of Christ, we will indeed speak with one mouth and we'll think with one mind and we'll indeed bring glory to God. One commentator said, if we have the same mind, the same view, the same mindset that comes from adherence to God's revelation, then with one mind, that's the inner man, and one mouth, that's the outer man, we can together in unity as one glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the chief end of man. It's to glorify God. That's what he says in verse 6. Even uh, so that we may with one mind and one mouth glorify God. And verse 7. Wherefore receive you one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. chief end of you and I as believers is to glorify God and one of the ways in which we can glorify God is by being like-minded and that like-mindedness comes through thinking like Christ and the basis of our relationship with each other the base of fellowship with each other is the revealed word of God so to put it in the context of where we live here in Grafton, you know, the basis of fellowship for us here at Clarence Valley Baptist Church must be the Word of God, must be the mind of Christ. As one commentator put it, at all times and in all meetings, the Word of God shall prevail over the opinions of men. There can be no vote against the Scriptures. If we're thinking like God thinks, if we're thinking like Christ thinks, if the Word of God governs our thinking, then there will be unity. That's the base of fellowship. And if we adhere to the Scriptures, if we submit to the Scriptures, then we will be like-minded. There will be harmony amongst the believers. A quote from Pastor Mitchell again, he says this, it's only when someone errs from the Scriptures and goes beyond the Scripture and applies a test of fellowship that is not truly scriptural and disobeys the Scriptures that disunity occurs. Remember what he just spent a whole chapter, chapter 14, the beginning of chapter 15, talking about the weak and stronger brothers, saying that when it comes to things that aren't directly stated in God's Word, we need to accept one another not to be critical of one another. Because the ground for unity is not on those things that don't matter, those, those things that aren't recording God's word. The ground of unity is the word of God. And if you and I are having fellowship around the word of God, then it really doesn't matter whether you eat meat and I don't eat meat. It doesn't really matter whether I keep a holy day and you don't keep a holy day. It doesn't really matter on these things where the scriptures are not clear. It doesn't matter. If the word of God is the foundation of our fellowship, it makes no difference on these other things. It makes no difference if you like this sport and I don't and think that's probably a barbaric and I like this sport and you don't because you think it's whatever it might be. It doesn't matter. 
if the word of God's our focus, then there can be no disunity because God's word is absolute, isn't it? There is no gray areas in God's word when it comes to truth. The truth is the truth. And if God's word is the grounds of our, found, uh, of our fellowship, we will be like-minded and there will be unity. And if you and I are going to glorify God, then it must be with mind and mouth, attitude and action, inside and outside, through the Word of God. The Scriptures were written for our learning. They were written to give us hope and encouragement. And they were written to be the foundation, to be the very basis for fellowship. And we're challenged by Paul to receive one another to edify one another, to please one another, to be of the same mind one with another so that we might glorify God. And when God's word is the focus of our fellowship and the mind of Christ controls our thinking, then we will truly be like-minded to the glory of God. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you this night for your word. We thank you, Father God, that the Word of God is relevant. And that the Word of God is the very foundation, Father God, upon which fellowship is to be built. It's the place, Father God, the ground for like-mindedness and unity. And Lord, help us as believers to spend time in your Word so that we might know the God of the Word that we might think like your word, we might think like your son, that the mind of Christ might indeed be in us so that, Father, our fellowship might be around Christ and that God might get the glory as we serve you. Bless now we pray as we close in Jesus' name.